Good morning from New York. Today is Monday, October 5th, and I welcome you to this NIAC Talks podcast in collaboration with the American Bar Association's section of dispute resolution. The title today is Be Inclusive, Opportunities to Take Action for Gender Diversity. We have today um, a, an esteemed group of panelists that I will name in alpha order with brief introduction. Sarah Grimmer, she is Secretary General of the Hong Kong International Arbitration Center, or HKIAC. Noyana Marigo is a partner in the New York office of Freshfields Bruckhaus Derringer. Mirez Philippe, Special Counsel at the International Chamber of Commerce, ICC, Court of Arbitration. Dr. Patricia Chagnessy, Professor at Stockholm University, and she also oversees the Master of International Commercial Arbitration Law, ICAL program, as well as having served as Vice Chair of the Stockholm Chamber of Commerce. And last but not least, Santiago Soria is a partner at Marval, Oferal, and Mairal. My name is Reiko Rangachari. I am the Executive Director of NIAC, and I am your moderator today. Two administrative items, please, Posit your questions in the Q&A portal within Zoom. Next, the session is being recorded. So any of your colleagues who can't join us today, not to worry and stay tuned. This podcast will post both to the ABA section of Dispute Resolutions site, as well as to the NIAC audio library. And with that, we are off. We're going to first begin by talking about the ICA report. What is it? Why now? How is it different? And tips and checklists that are relevant and that we want to highlight. And so let's begin. What is it? For this question, I turn both to Mirez and then to Sarah to respond on that. Mirez, Sarah, the floor is yours. Thank you, Rebecca. I think that this report is an extremely important tool for many reasons. There has been many publications in the last two decades about the birth of women in dispute resolution, gender diversity, about the glass ceiling, unconscious bias, women in the workplace, the pipeline leak, and so on. Then, during this last decade, reports and gender statistics started to shed light on the real situation in the business and the legal communities around the world, such as the McKinsey reports. In addition to these reports, some of us have collected and published statistics like Louise Barrington, Noemi Galore, uh, Lucy Greenwood, and myself. And since the pledge on the equal representation in arbitration, the major dispute resolution organizations started publishing statistics on a regular basis on the number of female arbitrators and mediators nominated. This is extremely important to help measure progress, to assess whether efforts are uh, producing the results expected and what concrete actions may be taken to improve gender diversity. So there existed a wealth of material, but such material was not organized in one place and in a way allowing people to find information easily and learn about these various subjects. This is what the ICA report on gender diversity achieves. It gathers the swells of data on everything you need to learn about gender diversity in this future solution. So it's a comprehensive and thorough report that explains where the problems first of lack of diversity lie, 
It provides hard data to evaluate the progress. And the statistics, <clears throat> excuse me, were provided by leading international arbitration institutions. So this is an important data. It informs about initiatives undertaken by various organizations, firms, and groups promoting female practitioners in dispute resolution. It provides an analysis of the barriers impeding or slowing down gender diversity, such as the pipelines leak or the unconscious bias. And most importantly, it provides tips and recommendations of potential opportunities to promote gender diversity and tools to overcome biases. So the report provides a clear picture of the current situation and how we can contribute to uh, reach a better, <clears throat> excuse me, representation of women in dispute resolution. It can be used as a toolkit of tools available to us to overcome obstacles and contribute to change. It is a roadmap for those who are committed to improve gender diversity. And I consider that it is an indispensable tool that any individual organization firm should have handy. It provides guidance and how to continue the positive trend. Thanks so much, Mirez. Sarah, if you'd also weigh in on this. <laughs> Thanks a lot. I think Mirez has given an excellent um, introduction to the report. I first learned about the um, idea of the report, I think it was back in 2017, when it was at its genesis. And now we are three years on and we see the uh, report come to full fruition. And as Mirez describes it, I think it's really going to be a reference point for discussion, especially in international arbitration with respect to gender diversity and ways to move forward and ways to identify and start to break down some of the barriers to equal representation for women in international arbitration. It provides uh, a, an excellent set of data that has been provided by um, eight of the major international arbitral institutions. And essentially it provides a snapshot of the situation between 2015 and 2019. Um, we have five EU-based arbitral institutions, two US-based and one Asia-based. And we also have the statistics uh, that have been furnished by the Court uh, of um, Sports Arbitration and by the Permanent Court of Arbitration. Uh, the task force is a group of 23 members um, that comprises the international arbitral institutions, as well as some of the major international arbitration organizations and law firms and chambers. So you really have a lot of information coming in from different sources. The report itself is 115 pages. Um, so um, it covers a lot. It's divided into three parts that Merez has um, described. And it has nine appendices, uh, seven of which contain a lot of data around arbitral appointments, and then two of which uh, distill some of the best practices and initiatives of some of the arbitral institutions. And the last um, appendix, appendix provides a checklist for recording data for institutions and also identifying opportunities uh, to address diversity. So a really important checklist, um, you know, for those of you who are really interested in reading the report, but it's hard to find time to set aside to read 115 pages in one go, but if you need a checklist, to go to, you can go to the last appendix, and that's all there. So really a reference point um, 
for, for everyone interested in this topic um, and providing a, a very valuable snapshot of data between 2015-2019. Thanks so much, Sarah. Thanks, Merez. Um, I wanted to highlight as well, you know, um, what the report does so succinctly is to capture the diversity of stakeholders that participate in the international arbitration space. And we've tried similarly to capture that here on this panel. Patricia, if we can turn to you, can you give us the temporal re relevance? Why this snapshot now? Well, I think the time was right for it. Now, the, the pledge had been around for a few years and it had really been making significant difference in the number of appointments of arbitrators, particularly by institutions. And I think it was time to take a, a temperature, see where we at, where we are at, um, what has been working, how is the needle moving, so to speak, and to, armed with that information, and as Sarah pointed out, it was a lot of detailed data that was um, gained through the institutes and through the other members. And armed with that, we can start to take a look at where can we go from here? How can we look at actual initiatives and measures that are already doing positive work, but we can ramp them up, we can replicate them, and we can innovate new initiatives. So I think it is, it is time to move beyond just the appointment of arbitrators and to start to see diversity uh, becoming really truly inclusive throughout our entire community of users. So I think the timing was right. Well, towards that word you used, innovation, we're hearing that a lot these days. Um, and so the question I pose to you, and I'm also going to ask Merez to weigh in, how is it different? How is it innovative from other reports of similar ilk? Well, I think it's, a, as Samirez and Sarah pointed out, that it has a number of different components. So one thing that it got is it brought together data during this 2015 to 19 period where there's been um, some movement. So it was a good time to gather that. And it does an, an analysis of that data. So you get all that data in one place instead of having to go and try to gather things which are not as deeply detailed from different websites. It also um, conducted interviews with um, different members of the arbitration community to share their experience and how they face challenges and managed to get past those challenges. I think that particularly younger um, entrants into the arbitration community will feel encouraged and feel inspired and find in the toolkit and in the checklist ways in which they can move their careers forward. And I'm hoping that um, law firms such as uh, that those Freshfields and Santiago's law firms, different parts of the world, as well as clients, the users, will also be inspired by this report to move forward. So it really has a broad approach. Thank you. Mirez, back to you. Any other distinctions between this report and others? Well, um, as uh, um, Patricia mentioned, Sarah, uh, also myself, I think this is really a report which is so useful and handy, mainly the checklist at the, at the, at the end of the report um, is really something that I recommend any person should read regarding how to promote yourself, how, uh, what are the actions that you can undertake to overcome obstacles and fight um, gender diversity discrimination. Uh, I think it, it, it is really useful and it was time, as Patricia mentioned, to have such a tool 
available to everyone around the world. It's true that it is more specifically adapted to the dispute resolution community, but I think that it can also inspire other communities. It is not only, I mean, the recommendations that we speak about are not only useful for the dispute resolution community. So I think this is really um, an excellent report, which uh, will be updated with the time, but it's a report that anyone can make use of. Great. So we're going to hone in on um, something Sarah and Mirez have highlighted already, this notion of um, tips and checklists. And so, Noyana, can you give our listeners what's top of mind um, to go through there with the tips and the checklists and any other items? Sure, thank you. Actually, this is part four of the report, which sets out opportunities and concrete ways to address gender diversity problems. And for me, it's one of the most useful part of this report, because as important as understanding where we are, the causes of the problem and the problem itself, it's even more important to know how to fix it. And also to see what things have been working already in some regions or in some aspects and try to replicate those elsewhere. So of course, there are many, many examples. I, I won't have the time to um, discuss all of them, but I have chosen some that are very close to my heart, at least I think that are very um, important because they can really make a difference. One is in terms of the resources we have when we have to appoint an arbitrator. Uh, and what we have in the, in the checklist is a list of the different resources and databases where we can find qualified female candidates. And just to name, name a few, we have, of course, the Arbitral Women Database and also the Pledge Search Committee. And why do I think this is so important is because if we think about how we generally decide who are going to be the candidates for either an arbitration, arbitrator list, or directly to appoint them, normally we brainstorm. We brainstorm with colleagues. And by doing that, what you do is just you reinforce the likelihood that you're going to put on your list people who you already know and who have already served as arbitrators. And that's how you end up always appointing more male than female. So go, taking the time and the effort to go to the databases and look at the people who are qualified and can serve uh, on your specific case is key. The second one is directories. Uh, we all uh, know that people sometimes go to the chambers list, for example, or Legal 500 to see who is ranked. And on the basis of that, might take decisions as to what counsel to hire or what arbitrator to appoint. Again, if we look at the process on how people are ranked, basically is getting um, the researchers get feedback from peers. And the way it's structured, you're going to be asked feedback on the people that are already on the list. And if you look at the list today and has improved a little bit in the last couple of years, but of course, uh, is mostly dominated by male arbitrators or male counsel. So um, 
it is important for all of us to understand that when we participate in those research, first of all, we have to provide the information that required, but at the end, they will ask you whether you have any comments on the list. And that's the perfect moment to note that is, there is a lack of diversity and also have ready your list. Look at the people who you think should be ranked and be ready also to explain how those female candidates compared to those male candidates are already ranked. And I think that in the, will help to improve those lists in the future. When you look at the list today, we have a lot of up, up and coming um, female council, which is great. Uh, and a very few ranked as top four, three, four or five. So we really need to work and improve those lists. One more topic, and now if we look at what council or litigation founders can do, uh, I think clients have a big say in terms of helping um, female to get more exposure by either promoting or maybe taking business away from firms who either don't allow women to be first chair or do cross-examination because all these affect their visibility and in turn affect their, their ability to be appointed as arbitrators later. And again, there's a long list and very useful list. So I encourage everyone to go and look and it's an easy read. And the report is long, but that part is really very easy to read. Thanks so much, Nuyana. There you have it also, a gentle call to action, right? It is all of our um, duty to help push this needle forward. Um, Sarah, if you would also weigh in any further comments as we look to these uh, checklists and tips. Yeah, I would um, say the, these checklists are uh, really um, encouraging because they are the result of a lot of intellectual energy, a lot of people who have brainstormed and been thinking about these problems, this problem, and also what can we do about it? And so how the report presents uh, this aspect is it, it looks at what we can do. So it's um, the, the part that Noyana has referred to is written in this way, what can I do? And then from, the, from five different perspectives, we have a multiplicity of answers to these questions. And those five perspectives are, first of all, I nominate or appoint arbitrators. So that's a really important aspect of this report. What can institutions do? What can council do? What can co-arbitrators do, for example? Number two, I am an in-house counsel or a litigation funder. What can I do? Number three, and also a very important one, I am a qualified female candidate. What can I do? Fourth, I want to develop experience and expertise. So for the younger, less experienced people, what can I do? And then finally, I employ future female arbitrators. What can I do? And so that really means that, you know, you can take a look at these checklists and the control comes back to an individual level, an organizational level, a company level, and makes, makes us all agents of change. And I think that that's really encouraging. Thank you. So of note as well, Patricia, Mirez, Sarah, and Noyana, we're all contributors to this report, but it's always important to take a step back and to get weigh in from the broader community. Santiago, we turn next to you. Can you share your views on this report on the state of diversity in general? Any other comments? The floor is yours. Sure, sure Rebecca. 
Uh, I really uh, share what uh, Mireille, Sara, Patricia, Noyana ha have described. I was very impressed by this report when I read it, uh, because I, I think that uh, it deals with the current situation on gender diversity with uh, a lot of, of hard data, which is also uh, a, a good uh, tool for everybody to understand. Uh, I think it's uh, an outstanding paper uh, that has become became a, a must who, who would like to be involved in these matters. If I have to to highlight uh, uh, three three uh, three uh, issues or, or points that this uh, this paper um, attract me more, I would say the first question: Why it matters? Why it matters is still a, a question that we have to deal with because it's important to continue strengthening the inclusion of women in, 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 in arbitration. Awareness, awareness, because we, it's not for granted that uh, gender diversity in arbitration is absolutely uh, a priority for everyone. Uh, in law firms or in companies, we still uh, uh, find that this is something that we should still work on. And uh, that is why I, I really appreciate the, 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 deep, the deep description of the current situation of, 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 uh, of this matter. This is one of, of the things I really appreciate, and it's a, it's a very well uh, done uh, paper. The second one I would say is the data. The data uh, helps to understand the matter, because when you, when you see uh, the, the figures, uh, it's really uh, have an impact on the reader because it's not just uh, a discussion or description of, of how the, the matter is, is dealing with by associations, law firms, institutions. This, uh, the, the hard figures show how, how this matter is really uh, an issue to, to, to take uh, over by everybody. And last, I would say defective actions. Because I think that uh, in these kind of papers that we have uh, read, uh, sometimes uh, what is missing, what is missing, is is this effective action. As and many of, of you have described, um, what uh, what should be done in order to improve this? Which are the tools uh, for 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 the women to to improve this? Uh, if 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 I want to appoint someone. Uh, well, what are the, those directories that, that Noyana mentioned, uh, the toolkit that, that Patricia also mentioned, to be appointed as well? So I would say that the comprehensive analysis of this, of this report, for me, is, is uh, really an outstanding paper that I highly recommend. Thank you so much, Santiago. You know, without being presumptuous about what else exists exists in the space. We're now going to pivot to what's happening in the realm of other diversity initiatives. But the focus is on the new things, in addition to directing you to each of the websites that exist for these initiatives so you can read more there. Appreciating our time is short. Mirez, we go to you first. Arbitral women, please tell us what's happening on the ground. Thank you. I think that first it's important to understand that the objective of Arbitral Women is to design a space where female dispute resolution practitioners can gather, communicate with each other, trade ideas, and promote each other. So how do we achieve this? 
Our first marketing tool is the website that gives access to a directory of members, as um, was mentioned earlier, uh, with uh, access to their profile. And a Find Practitioner multi-search tool offers the possibility to find female practitioners in any given field. We also offer visibility to our members through news um, about members and through our newsletters, which report about events at which members spoke on panels. With in our newsletters, interviews with role models and reports about women initiatives in their workplace, because we consider both subjects to be inspirational for other women practitioners and for young generations. We have a mentorship program for members with less experience, but also for members who need assistance from their peers. So we support teams also competing in mood courts, provided they are they include 50% of female students. Now, what are our signature programs that um, we continue offering? First, the Aboriginal Women Diversity Toolkit, meant to share our experience in this field by offering trainings on learning to recognize unconscious biases, so our own biases, and tools to overcome them. And some of the tips that we use in our trainings exist in the, um, the, the ICA report. Another signature program is the SpeedNet events inspired by speed dating to allow female dispute resolution practitioners from all profiles and generations to meet. And this has been replaced during the pandemic by a one-on-one -on -one program called Connect to meet virtually other members or even female practitioners, non-members yet of Arbitral Women. We have a parental mentorship program that seeks, for instance, to match members who are new mothers with others who have a recent experience of learning how to balance the demands of parenthood with a career while being a separate program for um, the regular, uh, from the regular, sorry, professional mentoring scheme, it is complementary though. We also relaunched an important program, a cooperation program intended to partner with like-minded organizations and groups to mutually promote our works and events and to cooperate on given uh, projects. But I would like also to say that in general, we welcome new projects, but we need to be realistic. It is better to ensure continuity and to reinforce existing programs until they become easy to manage before launching new projects. It is fine to be ambitious and bring many ideas to the organization, but it is equally important and even more important, and this is also true in our uh, profession and our career, it is important to deliver what we have committed to with ongoing projects. You generate trust by showing continuity, by proving that you are reliable and capable of delivering. I will stop here because I think I can speak a lot about our virtual world, but this, I think that we need to hear about the others. <laughs> Midas is one of the founders of Arbitral Women, um, and so thank you so much. We move next to the ERA pledge. Noyana, please. Yeah, thank you. And just for those who are not that familiar yet with the pledge, the Equal Representation in Arbitration pledge uh, was drawn up in 2015, and the idea was to stop 
talking about the gender diversity problem and take concrete steps uh, to solve that problem. So basically what we did was um, have two objectives in mind, improving the profile and representation of women in international arbitration, and also promoting the appointment of women as arbitrators on an equal opportunity basis. And that's, that message is very important for us on an equal opportunity basis. Uh, and we decided that we would uh, ask signatories to commit to ensure that whenever possible, the list of potential arbitrators or tribunal chairs that they would have to provide or to consider would include a fair representation of female candidates. And for those who had the power to appoint an arbitrator, that those appointments would be also be done with a fair representation of female arbitrators. And another aspect that was very important is that um, the signatories would commit when they had the power to do so to collate and make publicly available statistics that uh, when we started there were very few statistics and it was very difficult to know where we were at the time. And today, four years later, uh, we can see already with the ICA report uh, how much information we have been able to put together. Uh, in the news today, and it's growing every day, we're very proud of that, it's there, there are 4,355 signatories from all around the world, covering all regions of the world. And most importantly, um, I, I would like to think that this has really contributed to the advancement of the number of appointments of female arbitrators from 12.2% average in 2015, when we started with the pledge, to around 21.3% in 2019. Uh, what is important to remember is that this initiative is a grassroots initiative. We have no funding, we have no infrastructure, uh, we don't have a, a formal organization. So the work that is done is done by the members and the energy that uh, all of our men members have and the ideas that all of them have. We just provide around the pledge with the support and, and, and a little bit the structure, but everything is done through our uh, members. And we have subcommittees now to be able uh, to cover more territory. We have a subcommittee in Latin America, Africa, and Indian. And we will soon launch Asia and the Pacific region and also the Middle East. Uh, we have launched this year as well a subcommittee for general counsel. And this is very important because we need to make sure our users are involved and they have a big say in appointing arbitrators. So uh, the news on that front is that they will be launching very soon a corporate guide, guidelines to explain how corporates can implement the pledge within their organizations, which we think is going to be very useful. Uh, we launched two years ago the pledge award, and I think this is a very good idea because um, lawyers were all competitive, so we all want to win awards. And that has given a lot of motivation to people to be uh, proactive. And you might know last year was um, the winner was the LCIA. And it was a recognition of the fact that 
43% of the LCIA's appointments in 2019 were female arbitrators, and that number went to 48% in 2019. And the prior year, we had Woodford, the third-party funder, who had earmarked $50 million for funding cases that were led by uh, a female council. So we can see there a lot of uh, new and innovative um, ideas. So, and finally, um, as Mires was saying, the important thing is there are many organizations there that we all have the same objective. And of course, we, we try to collaborate and try to put efforts together to, to get a better result. Okay, thanks so much. I, I want to just underscore impressive. ERA Pledge, a grassroots organization, they realized a 9% increase since inception. So progress and success, the anchors of today's program, are really there and being realized. We're going to pivot. You know, Noyana spoke about implementation within corporate entities for the pledge and missions forward. Let's take a look into the law firms. What are concrete steps? What's happening as law firms look inward? Santiago, we go to you first, please. Thank you, Rebecca. Well, uh, I would like to uh, thank my, my female partners and female associates who also helped me to, to uh, make the list of the effective actions that we are dealing at Marvalu uh, with this, uh, with the gender gender diversity agenda, um, I, I would like to comment briefly uh, some of the initiatives, uh, just to share our perspective from uh, a law firm in Argentina uh, dealing with this matter that, that may help for the discussion. Uh, the, the first thing uh, that I would like to mention is our diversity committee realized uh, some years ago that it would be necessary. To, uh, to create diversity working groups uh, composed by partners, associates, but also by administrative staff, because the, the inclusion uh, of the gender the, the diversity agenda uh, should also encompass the, the administrative staff. And we have created the women working group, age diversity group, disability, ethnic, LGBT. And the purpose of these five working groups was to uh, continue analyzing, but especially uh, proposing, proposing initiatives and tools to improve inclusion, diversity within the firm. Uh, the purpose is equal opportunity for everybody. So uh, what uh, I want to comment is the result of these of this five working uh, groups. Uh, for example, we have uh, launched last year a nursing room helping mothers coming back to work uh, with the idea to contribute to soft landing and work-like balance. It was a, a, an initiative very well accepted by, by our, our female associates uh, because they, 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 and also our uh, female staff uh, because they, they really uh, used this nursing room for this uh, soft landing uh, with, with their babies. Um, we also uh, um, created a, a, a project that we call kindergarten adaptation to encourage, uh, to encourage parents to participate during the first weeks of the year in the adaptation process of the toddlers. That enabled parents 
to take some time off uh, that requires from, from us, the law firm, flexibility, because uh, otherwise it's not possible uh, if, uh, to, to, I mean, to, to grant this uh, to parents uh, if we don't uh, have the flexibility uh, to, to do so. So they can adapt their working day to participate in, in the, this important educational stage of their young children. Uh, third initiative uh, has to do with the career development of female lawyers uh, with two, I would say, uh, special objectives. Awareness uh, in what we call work allocation and team building. Why? Because uh, it's important for, for female lawyers to, to uh, in, when we decide as partners uh, uh, to allocate the, 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 an arbitration or to allocate, for example, a, a, a project within the firm, to, to, to take the gender diversity on, 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 on track, because otherwise uh, it, that would not help them to continue improving. So uh, team building, uh, yes, when, when we have to, 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 to choose who would lead uh, a team, uh, give uh, female lawyers that opportunity, uh, promoting uh, uh, those female lawyers uh, for, for, the, for the leading of those projects. Um, the, other, the other thing was to create uh, several events, uh, especially for women, women uh, by, uh, organized by women, and, and where women all, uh, only women can speak, and the, that, where there the, 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 the can be an interaction with peers, uh, and we have organized several events uh, with, different, with different tasks, arbitration, antitrust, compliance, uh, interaction between law firms, uh, between in-house uh, lawyers, uh, and it was it was a, an excellent networking opportunity for 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 females uh, lawyers to interact and, and to and to find a common path in order to solve these matters. Uh, another another initiative that I would like to share is the Economic Violence Against Women uh, project. This is a project aimed at understanding how gender economic violence is addressed in different jurisdictions to prevent and help women fight against it. So we, uh, we develop this program to help the women to understand which are their rights, which are the resources uh, that, that they have to fight against economic uh, violence. And we have uh, um, done many, many um, seminars and, and events with uh, a lot of attendees, not only from, from Argentina, but from the region. And, and the, the issue was how the lack of economic independence uh, should be solved and how can be solved, uh, and, and try to start working on uh, policy and legislative recommendation. And we are now working on a best practices report, which also be relevant for this matter to be achieved. Um, we have also organized uh, and supported the, the celebration of the International Women's Day. Um, this is, was an initiative from the working group, uh, uh, women working group. Um, we placed banners on each of the floors, uh, encouraging people to share thoughts. And it was incredible. Uh, 
interesting, this uh, initiative, because it was a source for future initiatives. Because the, the, we, uh, we found a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, our, uh, proposed, uh, proposals which uh, gave uh, rise to open discussion. So th that was really very uh, important. Um, another another uh, program launched in 2017, uh, we, we launched a mentoring program. We called it Empoderar, which means empower empower women uh, lawyers to develop their careers, to promote change, uh, and, to, uh, and to try to find those, those tools for them to, to, be, uh, to be promoted. And we really, uh, so far, achieve uh, improvements uh, because we have improved female lawyers in our pipeline for partnership, which is something that we should work hard, uh, at least at Narval, and we are doing uh, correctly. Uh, we, we, we did not achieve so far the, the, the nomination uh, for, for, of many women, but we, we are on the, on the path. Um, I don't know if I have time to comment just two more uh, record, but I think uh, we, uh, in December 2017, we implemented uh, uh, what we call the Work Efficiency Program. Uh, what, what is it about? It's about uh, the idea to make the life of each lawyer more predictable. Um, this is something that in Argentina, our associates are claiming uh, just to improve their work-life balance without having a negative impact on, on the firm. So uh, what we did? Uh, well, we established a single policy. All professionals uh, are expected to be at the office at nine, with with uh, with the idea of leaving office at six if it's, if nothing uh, urgent is needed, and we found that the results were very positive uh, because we improved the work-life balance. Associates in in several surveys that we conducted said that, uh, that they were really very uh, I mean uh, very, very uh, attractive with this with this initiative. And we found that our recruiting rates and retention rates were really improved, uh, which is something uh, relevant. Um, another issue that I want to share, initiative, uh, has to do with the bonus, the performance bonus. Uh, we decided that uh, women during maternity leave also uh, deserves, uh, deserve uh, this type of bonus. Notwithstanding, they, they, of course, because of this uh, maternity leave, they are not working, but this should not be, uh, uh, they should not be punished because of this. And uh, that is something important to, to comment. And last, uh, I would say uh, we extended uh, leave uh, of asset absence for fathers. Uh, you know, in Argentina, uh, art, uh, only grants a two-day paid for fathers, uh, and we concluded that fathers should be given the opportunity to share more time uh, with their babies during these early days, and we extended up to seven days uh, because we are, we are um, on the belief that sharing responsibilities allows better chances for a professional career of both parents. So this is. Uh, some of the initiatives uh, from uh, a law firm perspective, I think that may help 
to, to, to share uh, with you uh, and, and have a, 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 an input from, from uh, a law firm in Argentina. Santiago, thank you so much. Santiago today spoke to us about access and advocacy, which remember those items, we'll turn to them shortly. He also spoke to empodrar, empowerment and predictability as firms look inward. Many of our speakers today wear several hats and so both Santiago and Noyana look inward as well at their firms to try to figure out implementation. Cognizant of time, we're going to pivot next to looking at academic centers and even specialized international arbitration programs that have burgeoned in recent years. Patricia, talk to us about what initiatives are happening in the academic circles. Well, there are some initiatives which are um, focused on increasing gender and other types of diversity. Um, we're focused on gender today, but I think we all are very cognizant that diversity has a much, much broader need and inclusiveness. Um, but I would say focusing more on the arbitration community and, and, and gender from a male-female perspective. I think that the LLMs, as well as some of these certification special courses like the Paris program, PCA, the Austrian Arbitration Academy, et cetera, they provide opportunities for women to be able to compete on an equal basis with men because it can be very difficult when women are entering into job places competing for the jobs getting into the job places to compete on an equal basis for a number of reasons which we've been discussing today such as unconscious bias the mirror image thing and, and all of that but in an academic environment now it's uh, we're up to you know a couple of decades where you see in the law environment that about half and sometimes more of all of the students are actually women. And so this is an environment that they have been successfully competing in. And in these programs, they have an opportunity to successfully compete and to interact and have dialogue and build networks with their fellow students, with their faculty. And in many of these programs, they have uh, excellent um, integration of this, uh, guest professors and, and practitioners who come and interact in different ways with the students. So it really provides a place, a safe place where women can excel and build those kinds of relationships and networks that will help them to identify and open doors to opportunities in their careers. And also exciting, I'd like to point out that in many of these um, specialized programs, which are really not that old. I think the Stockholm program I started back in 2002. Um, Primary, of course, is about 35 years of age. We have the MIDS program about uh, 10 or 12 years. So they're relatively new, but it's kind of exciting. If you look around, we have Gabriela Kohler-Kaufman, Maxie Scherer, Catherine Rogers, Anne-Marie Witzel, Margaret Moser, Janet Walker. Many of the programs that are well-known or run by women, or women have very important roles. So it also provides a mentor, a role model for both men and women about the role that women can play and that women are in a leading, mentoring, and educating role, which I think is um, really valuable for both the men and the women as they're getting prepared to enter into this career. 
So I will leave it at that because time is short and we have many other interesting uh, speakers and perspectives. Thank you so much, Patricia. So equality, integration, mentorship. We're now going to pivot to talking about the institutions. I note that there have been some questions posited into the chat specifically asking about the role of international organizations. The specific reference there was made, for example, to ICJ, but in general, organizations, as well as how can law societies and other bar associations help push the agenda. So sort of like-minded in the space with the institutions, I go, Patricia, if you wanna weigh in on the SCC, we can go to Sarah then for the HKIAC and end with Merez on the ICC with regards to institutions. Well, to be short, let me say um, Sweden stands out and has for a long time of being um, on a worldwide basis, a relatively pro-diversity uh, jurisdiction. And certainly the SEC is um, an institution that wholeheartedly embraces that and has had for a number of years different programs and activities, include, including sponsoring a organization and hosting it. Um, SWAN, Swedish Arbitration, or Swedish Women's Arbitration Network, which collaborates a lot with arbitral women. So uh, definitely uh, there's been a, taking the pledge very seriously. The appointments to the uh, tribunals have had very, very uh, uh, awareness of having diversity on those panels, as well as inviting speakers for seminars and other activities, and generally supporting a diverse and therefore better functioning community. But um, I think I'll turn over to Sarah because she's doing us a huge favor by being up in the middle of the night there. So Sarah, and you're working in an environment that maybe has not traditionally been so pro-diversity as we are in Stockholm. Yeah, um, thanks Patricia. So um, at the HKIC, I wanna talk about three um, initiatives. Um, we signed the pledge back in 2016 and as such we trace on a weekly basis and we publish on an annual basis all of our statistics around appointments and diversity so that's all available on our website. Um, with respect to appointments uh, after signing the pledge we put in place uh, an, um, a policy whereby when we shortlist candidates to our appointments committee which is the body that makes the appointments in our cases. Uh, and they make, we make about 120 appointments every year. So about two and a half a week. Um, every shortlist must contain at least the name of at least one qualified female candidate where possible. That's not always possible because when you layer on conflicts, um, language requirements, uh, whether or not someone has been appointed many times already, you can quickly, the, the pool of uh, female candidates can shrink quite quickly, but there is a proactive policy in place and we've seen some great results. So for example, in 2016, 6.8% of all of our institutional appointments were of women. And in 2019, that rose to 20.5. And as of today, uh, this year, we're at 23% of appointments of women. Um, and what that also requires is that the institution, you, you have to find qualified candidates. As an institution, we're very lucky because our vantage point is excellent in that we see the work of many 
hundreds of different arbitrators and hundreds of counsel. And so we can see who is a quality candidate who is qualified. Um, and it's very much, I think, part of our role to grow the pool of talented candidates uh, and arbitrators for now and for the next five years, the next 10 years, um, for the sake of our users. One of the other ways in which we do that is that we are very cognizant of the need to showcase female talent in addition to male talent. Every year we organize multiple events like many of the other arbitral institutions. So for example, in 2019, we organized 45 events and 45% of the speakers on our events were women. Six of our events were all women. Um, and, la and so far this year, we've run 34 events, most of which have been webinars, um, which have a much wider exposure actually than in-person events. And 57% of speakers on those events have been women. We have an active policy whenever we're organizing or co-organizing that uh, our panels must include gender diversity as well as other um, types of diversity, but gender diversity is a must. And so for Hong Kong Arbitration Week, that's also a guidance that will apply to all uh, entities that are participating. Um, and then the final initiative I want to talk about is the establishment of WIA, Women in Arbitration, which is a professional networking program and platform for women in mainland China. It is unique. It's the only um, network of its kind. We established that in February 2018. That was established out of our Shanghai office in, um, in China. And uh, that we've run 12 events through that platform. And the membership, depending on how you measure it, we have a WeChat group of 280 members and an email subscription group of 485 members. 62% of, of speakers in the events put on by WIA have been women. But the one thing I want to raise to everybody's attention is a survey that has been launched by WIA just uh, in the last two weeks. And this is a survey that's going to explore the equal representation of women in arbitration in mainland China and analyze the statistics on the appointment of female arbitrators in arbitration in China um, with the support of over 10 arbitral institutions on the mainland. Um, which individually appoint or administer thousands of cases, uh, largely domestic cases, but also more and more international cases. So it's really uh, an important um, space of arbitration that we need to be thinking about and measuring. And so we've launched the survey with a view to publishing a report next year, which will touch on many of the issues that we see touched on in the ECA report, but this will be specific to mainland China. One of the angles will also be comparing the difference between mainland China and the international community. So um, I would say watch this space. Thank you. Thanks so much, Sarah. Midez, the floor is yours. Please tell us about the International Chamber of Commerce. Thank you, Rekha. I'm very impressed by the, by the report of, of Sarah. And I would like also, before speaking about the ICC, I would like also to thank Santiago. I was truly impressed to hear about all the initiatives of your firm, Santiago. You can't imagine how important it is to share such experience. It's an inspiration to other firms. And I will ask you afterwards if you agree to share a report for Arbitral Women newsletter. And this is a shout out. 
because it is so important for firms to share their experience about initiatives to support female practitioners in their workplace. So don't hesitate to contact Arbiter Women if you have internal programs that you would like to share with peers in order to inspire others. So thank you to both. Now speaking about the ICC, um, I can say that having been at the Secretariat of the Court for over three decades, I have seen a tremendous change. And I have seen a tremendous change in the arbitration environment in general. Um, so just to give you an idea, when I started collecting statistics, gender statistics um, about female nominations at the ICC, in 2010, the percentage of female arbitrators was, was 7% 2010, so this is 10 years ago, it's not that far from now. And last year we reached 21%. So this is a visible progress, although more progress is needed not only at the ICC, but everywhere. But it is just to tell you that in the past, we used to count female arbitrators on the fingers of one hand. So this has changed, and I am very positive about the change in the future. Uh, the ICC court is also a signatory of, um, of the ERA pledge. And you also know that the court has achieved gender parity in uh, 2018. And this is really a historical moment. The women in managing positions at the Secretariat of the court now outnumber members. We also insist with the national committees uh, uh, to, um, to reflect basically two issues. We insist on first that gender diversity within the nomination commissions with the national committees in charge of proposing arbitrators, uh, that such nomination commission reflect generational and gender diversity, as well as various components of the local arbitration community. And second, the court insists on gender diversity when national committees propose arbitrators. So they should therefore make best efforts to achieve and maintain gender parity in their nomination commissions and favor gender diversity in the proposals they make. Uh, regarding conferences, I have no statistics like um, um, Sarah and kudos for having collected such statistics, but we hope in the future to be able to provide them. Women are present on all panels, and it's really something that we insist on. The ICC court has been extremely proactive regarding gender diversity in the recent years. So um, there is parity on the panels. Um, there is parity also with the Young Arbitrators Forum's representatives. There is parity on the board, um, the editorial board of the Bulletin of the Court. And last year, a woman was nominated at the head of the Commission on Arbitration and, and ADR. This is also historical. Finally, we also have another initiative, which is not uh, related specifically to the court, although it comprises staff members from the secretaries of the court. It's a staff-driven initiative of ICC called World Business Women, which is intended to promote gender diversity. So um, initiatives continue, and, um, and uh, we continue to be engaged in gender diversity. Thank you. Thanks so much, Mirez. Just a quick snapshot to our delegates. So we have two more topics to go through with you. We will go a bit over the 115 mark, if you will allow us, but we will finish before 1.30. And so with that, here we go. 
around the world perspectives and access and advocacy are two remaining tranches. We'll begin with Latin America, key local regional considerations as we deal with diversity gaps and towards progress. Noyana and then Santiago, please, the floor is yours. Tell us what's happening. So I will start with the US and then I will let uh, Santiago describe the initiatives in in Latin America. And before going there, I would just want to add one more thing to the prior topic. And it's just to say that um, I'm really proud that in 278 years of Fresh Fields, we appointed last week the first female uh, senior partner uh, of, in the history of our firm. So we're all very proud. I think it's a, a huge step forward in showing that really women um, have to take and are taking leadership positions, which is exactly what we've been um, fighting for. So uh, a very good development there in terms of firms initiatives. Uh, in the Americas, um, of course, the, um, the gender diversity uh, initiatives are still uh, fo the focus of many institutions, but I think we cannot avoid um, acknowledging that um, it has been a shift in the U.S. today and we are focusing now more on the gaps in Black people and people of color in general. Uh, of course, the Black Lives Matter movement has, has put the spotlight there and um, I think that this has also been compounded by the disparities impact of COVID-19 on those communities of color. And this is something that we have always discussed, even in, in the context of the pledge. So of course, we're focusing on gender diversity, but diversity in general is important. And as Mireille was saying, we just need to tackle small or some aspects of the problems in order to make sure we are being effective. But we cannot forget that there are other uh, disparities out there. And I was reading a report of the American Bar Association that really reveals a disturbing stagnation in advancement of women of color in the profession. Um, this study reports that uh, although there are now 15% of women of color that are associates in big law firms, only 4% or below 4% make it to the partnership. So, of course, here we have a combination of two elements of minorities, women and uh, people of color. And if we think about the arbitration field, uh, we don't have that many women arbitrators, even less uh, women of color. So I think this is gonna be an area where we will be focusing on, on the next couple of years in the US in particular, but also around the world. And we, we have seen already this week in how lawyers and global financial institutions like J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs that had um, launched an initiative similar to kind of a pledge and trying to push law firms to staff their matters with underrepresented attorneys and uh, seek to hire minority lawyers in, in, in the firms and in all other legal service providers. So hopefully we, we start making progress uh, there as well. The second diversity gap in the US at the moment is also um, LGBT groups. Um, if we think that only last June, the US Supreme Court ruled that um, the Civil Rights Act protect gay uh, and in general, the LGBT 
um, workers from discrimination. Uh, in the U.S., that has been a land, landmark decision that makes it clear that it is unlawful to fire people because they are LGBTQ. Uh, and although it seems unbelievable that we need this clarification in 2020, that shows that there is a lot of work to be done there. Uh, and of course, if we try to shift that not only to uh, the community in general, but the arbitration community, uh, I'm sure we all agree that um, these are aspects of diversity that we will also have to address in the coming years. And I will leave with that to Santiago to tell us a bit more what are the next steps in, in Latin America. Thank you, Noriana. Uh, um, and I will, uh, Mireille, thank you for your comment. And of course, I am a strong supporter of this gender diversity issue. And uh, I, I am, uh, of course, available for, for anything you may need from uh, a British woman. Uh, I am your ambassador in Latin America if you, if you would like to, to continue moving forward with this, with this uh, exciting matters. Uh, in terms of uh, Latin America, I would like to share with, uh, with everybody uh, an initiative uh, uh, that is called Women Way. Many of you maybe uh, is aware of it. Uh, it's a distinguished group of women lawyers with a lot of experience in arbitration, uh, with focus uh, uh, in LATAM, but of course, uh, they, they also are uh, working for arbitrations, both as councils and arbitrators all over the world. And this, uh, this group of, of women uh, started this, this, uh, this organization with the, with the aim of promoting the participation of women in arbitration uh, the, the, to treat um, and the, the fundamental value uh, that the, any any development model must achieve equality and 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 and, and gender equality is is and shall be on on the agenda. Um, there are many seminars and events organized by them. I strongly uh, recommend. Uh, uh, you to follow also this organization who, who is very is a very uh, um, uh, uh, it is a young uh, organization I would say but uh, with a lot of, of support and we from Arbal are, are supporting uh, a lot of this initiative. Um, the second the second comment from Latin America uh, I, I learned, uh, there was something uh, from the IBA, and I and I read uh, a, a very interesting paper uh, from the Council of the Latin American Forum. Uh, a rich, uh, it's a research uh, project called "The Perception of Legal Firms with Regards Diversity and Inclusion." Um, it's 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 an interesting paper because it deals with uh, with the with uh, law firms in Latin America, especially, and with a lot of hard data uh, and, 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 uh, and surveys, uh, there is a source for you if you are interested in, in uh, analyzing how the, the gender uh, agenda is dealing with in Latin America and the law firm, uh, it's, it's a good tool for you to, to understand uh, the, the current situation. The, the conclusion of this research is the majority of the countries 
promotes the equal treatment and diversity as a general guideline, which is something that we celebrate, of course. Uh, however, there is still, uh, as we have been mentioning everybody in this panel, a lack of awareness about, among the population and especially lack of specific public measures. Uh, what, what, it, what I think is that the, the enforcement, the, the, the specific enforcement of these general guidelines is not uh, proper, it's not, it's not accurate, and there is a lot of to do on this, on this uh, stuff. Um, the, the, the survey that this IBA uh, project uh, conducted also shows that there is a perception that discrimination is not a priority uh, matter within the law firms. Uh, and and the, what is interesting is uh, the, 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 this paper describes which are the strategies that uh, the law firm should follow uh, in order to, uh, to uh, tackle this matter. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they, they propose events uh, for discussions, uh, promoting awareness, something we have been saying all the all uh, along this uh, panel, and something which is for me very important: the flexible working programs. Uh, this is something in the law firm we should work a lot to to continue strengthening uh, how to combine life and work in a better way, because I am uh, uh, I am absolutely. Um, uh, in favor of, of this. The absence of a flexibility, uh, flexible working schedule makes difficult to reconcile professional and family life and uh, prevents women from progressing because it is unacceptable uh, for, for, for a woman who would like to, to also deal with, with uh, her family and kids if, if, if she doesn't find a, a flexible uh, working arrangement within the law firm. So uh, I strongly recommend also this this uh, this project uh, called Perception of Legal Firms with Regards to Diversity and Inclusion from the IBA. Uh, this is uh, Reka, what I found uh, in Latin America of almost uh, interesting uh, for sh for sharing with the, with our colleagues. Thanks so much, Noyana and Santiago. Just a note to the delegates, to the degree you're looking for any of the referenced items that the speakers have offered, they are within the chat function via hyperlink. Do look there. Um, so there's a lot that's been done, as we've heard from Noyana and Santiago. There's a lot to do. These flexible work programs become even more relevant in pandemic as personal and professional collide in real time. Let's roll up our sleeves. Let's move from the Americas to Europe. I'm going to invite Patricia to weigh in, and then Mirez, not only looking at Europe, but also looking at the MENA region. Patricia, the floor is yours. Thank you. Well, um, in Europe, I would say this probably, after listening to Santiago, well, I wish we could clone him and send him around the world. Um, I think in Europe, we like to think of ourselves as being relatively at the top of the class in, these, uh, in, in the situation and in the initiatives going on. But I've, I've really been impressed, as, as Veres pointed out, with the things that are being done in Latin America. So I think we should be all inspired by them. But in Europe, we do have um, a, some general trends which are positive, and that is 
for one thing in the social context that in the European countries, um, many of most of the countries do have systems in place which are increasingly giving and encouraging parental time in connection with the birth or adoption of a child to, to a man. So for example, in, in Sweden, uh, we have 18 months of parental leave and it was introduced several years ago that three of those months only the father uh, of the child may take. And it's being discussed if it should be increased to six of those months. And that has a very positive effect. And, and studies have shown that when men are encouraged to stay home with the children, not only do they have an opportunity to develop a better relationship with the child and the child with them, but it then evens the playing field so that at the point of hiring, firms are not saying, hmm, she may be having one, two, three kids, so we can expect she's going to be gone one, two, three times 18 months. Then it puts them in the even, even playing ground because so could the male hire be gone. So I think that's good. It's also uh, notable in Europe that we have, in most countries, very affordable, subsidized, uh, good quality public uh, child care for, for kids uh, at the young age and then after school programs. So these types of social benefits really help. And many of the firms try to augment them or to make them even more favorable through their firm processes. So I think supporting the lifestyle choices of, of the workers is important. And I think we need to remember, I mean, we all know it, but I think we can't remember it enough. And that is diversity is good business. And diversity is particularly good business when you're in the business of human resources. Because in the law business, what we're basically selling is the quality of the legal advice that can be and service that can be given by the people that are hired. So if the firm is not hiring the best talent, and if the firm is not giving training and development potential to those that they hire, and if the firm is not retaining and promoting its best talent, then that's a really poor business model. And increasingly we're seeing that firms are starting to realize that. Um, it's been a lot of awareness campaigns. And one of the things which is also kind of an exciting development, that's not just in Europe, uh, we're seeing it um, in other, in the Americas as well. And, and um, Sarah can tell us about Asia, I'm not sure. But that is they're now um, regular different organizations offering prizes for the firm with the greatest diversity or the most successful or the most impressive diversity um, initiative or um, statistics and such. So you see a lot of the firms now, in order to make themselves competitive, part in uh, getting the best talent, but also in impressing clients are putting into place not just window dressing, but really meaningful programs to help attract, train, and retrain diverse, high-quality colleagues in the firm. And I think that's um, something that we also see coming increasingly from the client. And we are now, you know, it used to be, um, I'm pretty old, so I can say it used to be that oftentimes that women started to feel that being in the law firm environment just was not um, something that they were willing to trade off in the life, life balance. And so many of them would go into corporate counsel. And it used to be that corporate counsel was kind of perceived as a second, uh, a, a second road to travel. 
uh, not any longer. The rise of corporate counsel and their role has increased tremendously in the past decade, particularly in Europe. It, the Europe lag behind the, the US in corporate counsel. And today we're seeing that corporate counsel are doing exciting work. They're well paid. They're in positions of great influence. And many of the corporate councils at the, at the top leadership level are now women. And many of the corporate um, clients now are demanding that even at the beauty contest level of selecting firms, they want to see teams that are diverse. They want to ensure that the team is going to be able to have um, a, a consistency so that it's not going to be such that women on the team need to bail out because of, of their different needs, but the team is put together and properly staffed so there can be a consistent top talent all the way through. And the firms themselves, uh, the companies, the clients themselves have these um, uh, diversity goals that they want to achieve through how they're procuring their legal services. So mm -hmm. diversity is good business. And trust me, as somebody who works with students, um, and the, the students I've worked with, and not just in the Stockholm community, those firms which tend to have a very male, macho, um, a, a not genuinely inclusive culture. <laughs> the top talent coming out of the school know who they are, and they get reputations that you don't want to go there. So uh, it's good business. <laughs> Thanks so much, Patricia. Merez, please. I would like to pick up on one point regarding the pandemic. Um, I think that uh, for every misfortune, there are positive things that may arise. And the positive aspect of the pandemic um, is to have proven to the world that women can continue to be efficient while working remotely. Minds are now ready like clients now know that they can contact their lawyers uh, remotely, that they can meet with them, that people can continue working, and that the fact of working remotely does not prevent women from continuing to be efficient and hopefully from retaining women and all the parental uh, mentorship programs are so important. So I think this is very important to remember. Women can continue working. Now, regarding the Demina region, I have personally observed a significant change between 2000 and 2010. Um, and it's now even more, uh, uh, it, it has progressed even more, although the road is still long. And let me tell you about it. So when I was in charge of promoting ICC arbitration in the Demina region between 2000 and 2005, there were extremely few women in the room at any given event and women were silent. Most of the participants had headphones to hear the translation from English into Arabic. And then in 2010, I was invited to speak and I start, uh, started seeing a clear change. Many women were not only present in the room but also participated actively in conferences and workshops. And in general, new generations of men and women spoke English and needed no headphones. They participated quite actively. And in the recent years, we also started seeing more and more women invited to speak on panels. So I was happy to see this positive change during this decade. Today in the MENA region, 
a significant number of women work, whether uh, they are expats or uh, women from the region. Many in-house counsel are women. The registrar and chief executive of the Abu Dhabi Global Market Courts, ADGM, is a woman, and so is the court registrar at the Dubai International Financial Center, the DIFC. That being said, I doubt that the culture and the traditions allow women to work without prior approval of their family, usually given by their fathers or their husbands. So I doubt that women are free to choose today, but hopefully things are changing and will continue change. However, considering the progress observed in the region in the recent years, I really hope that uh, this progress will, um, we will see this progress very quickly because there are more and more involved people in organization wishing to show that they are modern, that they understand the issue and that they are inviting more women. Talents are equally strong for both genders. So we need to be realistic about this and uh, talents are not a privilege of, of one gender. So using the talents of a nation is a business plan and a positive aspect of local economies. There are also some efforts um, undertaken in Saudi Arabia, but the situation is different from the Emirates and many efforts remain to be done in this region. So just to give you an idea about the number of uh, women arbitrators in, from the MENA region, in 2018, out of uh, the 1,484 arbitrators appointed or confirmed by the ICC court, 273 were women, which represented only 18.4%. And from the 273 women, 12 were from the MENA region, which represented 4% of the women nominated. So I hope that this will increase and we will see more change in the future. Thank you. Thanks, Mirez. Sarah, next to you, Outlook on Asia. Thanks, Rekha. Um, I have to admit, I really struggled with this question because um, Asia is, is enormous and the jurisdictions are, are really varied. So you have some of the um, least developed jurisdictions to some of the most sophisticated jurisdictions in Asia, like Hong Kong, Singapore. Um, so it's, it's really diverse, but I'll, I'll give some, some observations that I can. Um, I think that we do see pipeline issues, um, and I know that we as an institution see that on the front line. Um, for example, um, when we're looking to the Hong Kong bar and to the Hong Kong law firms that are specializing in arbitration, um, to give you some figures, uh, in 2017, the Hong Kong bar there were 1,300 barristers, 400, just over 400 of them were women, so about 30%. Um, but of the senior council, which is the equivalent to a Queen's Council in um, England, uh, the number of women is 12%. Um, so there's a real drop off at some point in the woman's career. And I think as, with, as we see around the world, that really starts to happen quite acutely um, when, when families start to have children and then it, it's, it's really the, the woman who bears most of the burden, or burden, of, burden and joy of um, raising the child. Um, and then with respect to law firms, when we, we did an informal survey at HKIC last year of 
the law firms with very active arbitration departments and that we identified approximately 18 and of the most active partners of those firms there were 49 um, partners and nine of those partners were women so that's 18 percent so there when, when you're an institution you're very often looking at appointing at the partner or the sc level depending on the case of course um, so there are major pipeline issues um, and i think that that replicates in other, other of the major jurisdictions in um, asia like singapore korea mainland china um, japan um, and then you know going through the other jurisdictions i think that's also exacerbated exacerbated with respect to retention of women in careers again we're looking at child care and flexible working arrangements those things are so intertwined the thing about uh, some of the asian jurisdictions is that you have affordable live-in help and that is a real phenomenon that changes families lives and makes it possible for women to go back to work earlier and have the support they need um, to do that. Um, at the same time, I think it's true to say that there is a very strong culture uh, in terms of the emphasis is on the woman to uh, be at home, to stay at home, to take care of children. And that is not, it's, I don't think it's anywhere near as close to being um, culturally a norm for a man to to do that to take on that role i think that there's still a lot of um change to be made there because that is that does make things much easier for women in terms of going back to work um so i think and that is reflected in the the type of parental leave arrangements that you see in the legislation in many asian jurisdictions in hong kong 14 weeks for women and five days for men Having said that, you do have um, some of the international firms and, for example, the international investment banks um, who, who operate in a very different way and have equal parental leave. So, um, but by and large, it's, it's not like that. Um, so those would be my observations, um, just, just a couple of observations. Um, to so, give you a sense. <laughs> well, and Sarah brings up a really good point. You know, in covering the Americas and Asia, we asked Noyana, Santiago, and Sarah to really straddle a diversity of access points. This is true in general of the world, but our focus was really to talk also positively, not only shining a light on what more can be done, but acknowledging, as, as many of us have reaffirmed, what Santiago has said, there's already been a lot done, even though there's always more to do. Thoughtful of time, what I wanted to do now is um, to invite our speakers um, to offer one mantra that they live by when it comes to creating change, <laughs> popcorn style, um, in one sentence. And so Sarah, as you just had the mic, I'll go to you first. Yeah. Um, so. I have two. The first one is the harder you work, the luckier you get. So I think that that's it's not it's not all about luck, but you know, it's about it's about working, it's about carrying on. And the second is never, 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 never give up. Okay, Noyana, your mantra. Uh, quite similar. Actually, I would say focus your energy on action and positive thinking. Don't waste your energy concentrating on what might be more difficult for you or what might be unfair, or what could have gone better. Just move forward. 
Okay, Merez, please. Um, this is something I say all over, basically, the place. Uh, as uh, Sarah said, never give up. But I would say perseverance always pays in anything. Be firm without being arrogant. This is important. Okay, Patricia, the floor is yours. The only time I ever say no is when I'm asked if I've had enough. <laughs> there it is, Santiago, please. Yes, uh, I chose <clears throat> the following. Gender diversity is a must. Let's continue working to achieve it, but shortly. Yeah. Well, delegates, there you have it. I think these are the best last words. On behalf of NIAC and the ABA section of Dispute Resolution, it has been a pleasure to, to sit down with you today. I thank sincerely our erudite cohort of speakers who put their actions where their words are to effectuate change. We also together thank all of you, the delegates, for tuning in. Please do take a look at the checklists, acknowledging that the ICA report is long. They will guide you on what you can do to keep moving the needle forward. Um, with that, we're going to sign off here. Thank you so much, and we'll talk again soon.